year and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you're one of our geeks and snakes using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Oh, we got resolutions. (laughs) We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness. Because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsor this week, HelloFresh. HelloFresh brings the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also, games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who is the enemy of best, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. I'm unpacking that. I... One hello, two, I guess, yeah, enemy of best makes it sound like I, I think there can be an objectively best. Mm, mm, I'm, I'm just, just not, not here, here. Not, not here, not now, not on your watch. Not, not from me, because I have not played mm. them all. Right. Uh, other than that, this show is the objectively best show that does a faves of the year episode (laughs) this is it this is the one this is the biggest episode of the year it's our last episode of 2020 but it is also i think the biggest episode of 2020 because this is the one where we're gonna just put it all on the line you know there's a lot of places that you'll find on the internet that'll do your top 10 list i just saw polygon did a top 50 of the year you know what i call that you know what i call that i call that lazy i call that a cop out well, I call that page views. Well, that also, that's that's true too. <laughs> we, we don't have that kind of time or patience. No, no, no. We make it hard on ourselves. We do top five, only five games of this year we called 2020. And it's going to be, it's not going to be easy. But you know what? When DLC stands for deciding your list of champions, there is only one person that we can bring onto the show to help us. It is our tradition every year. Ladies and gentlemen. Who's that coming on the podcast today? They must be recording on a holiday. Who's going to talk about the games that they don't really want to play? He's dependable, dimensional, and so sincere. Anthony Taormina, ladies and gentlemen, from GameRant.com, our go-to wow. guy. Wow. Anthony, you asked it. for it. You asked I, for it and you got it. I did get it. Uh, it was a it was a long time in the making, talking back and forth, but uh, I had not heard that. That's the first time I heard that. So that was amazing. Uh, Sean got- Madigan and his wife, who are always incredible, uh, came through you you put the call out on the show you said i want my own theme song sean madigan of course uh the the maestro the virtuoso the the bumper creator extraordinaire we have uh several of his bumpers on our show and uh he heard you 
He came through. He did. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know what to say. That I, I'm my my name is a song. That's pretty. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. He said, uh, uh, Sean Madigan wrote us in uh, at uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. He says, uh, guys, he asked for it, so he got it. This was extremely fun, but don't let anyone else ask for a personal theme song. <laughs> you don't get a theme song <laughs> if you're someone else on DLC. Don't expect your own theme song. <laughs> so, Anthony, you're extremely special. The first, last, and only. Uh, you know request granted you know uh somebody has to be a pioneer of doing something and then having the person who's like i'll do that realize this was a huge mistake i should have done <laughs> yes for a song and i said yes but i should have said heck no i think correct a, yeah i'm gonna um, yes i'm i'm so happy to be here this is my favorite episode uh to be uh a part of and it's my favorite episode of of any podcast uh, as far as th- getting to hear the people that you, you know, you enjoy hearing year round, finally hash it out. And so getting to be a part of your conversation and basically being around to inject the games that maybe just aren't your cup of tea is, is my favorite part. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, DLC uh, this time of year, this episode with you here always stands for deflecting loud correspondence. Because uh, that's what you—that's your function—is you're you're, yeah. you're here to talk about the games that Christian I'm and here I. To put, I'm here to put Red Dead as the number one, so that <laughs> nobody else is mad that Red Dead isn't number one. Exactly. Yeah, it's your function. Although I will say that this year probably is a little different. It's going to be an interesting one. I had a much harder time coming up with my top five than I usually do. I think I I, I went through many different iterations of my top five in the last two weeks. Uh, and, and I should say, you know, we do the top five, uh, well, you know, we call them games of the year, but there's another song that kind of explains our position on game of the year as well. sampling based on an incomplete sampling yes of course we don't talk about best games of the year we don't we don't even call them our games of the year we call them our favorites here at dlc why because we had a an incomplete sampling there's no way there's no way christian says to even honor the word best you'd have to just say favorite and i think that's fair so we have adopted favorite games of the year to so do our top five favorite games of the year only five only five slots available but then we have our five diamonds in the rough the dark horses the hidden gems the games that aren't really our six through ten but are games that we really want to mention again at the end of the year that deserve another mention before 2020 comes to a close games that made a big impact on us and we want to bring up again so you get that top five list as well and then we're going to do some other categories uh, of, you know, uh, special categories. Biggest disappointment. And then Jeff had me prepare a bunch of trivia for Christian, and I'm ready with all of the questions. Are you ready, <laughs> Christian? <laughs> uh, I'm out of here. Goodbye. Also, let's start off. We always start off this episode, this sort of final episode of the year, 
We always start off looking back at the year that was and talking about the biggest stories that we've talked about on the show, the biggest things to affect the game industry. I think well, before we get before we get to that, would you uh, we talked about oh, this yes. a little before we yes. played two of his bumpers. Sean Madigan yes. won. We can't afford you. You know, like it's it's just hit after hit after hit. And it's incredible and it makes this show so much better all of our musical contributors and and sean and his family go above and beyond and they're not just a bumper podcast uh <laughs> uh sound making house no 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 every year in addition to all the other amazing stuff that that sean does they put out every year since their kid was born so i think it's been about three years he and his wife, and I believe their child as well, they do a yearly Christmas song that involves like the whole family. And you can find it on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, etc. And this year's is called Hey, How You Doing? It's by great. Sean Madigan. And it's so, they're, they're all so good. And it it makes me angry, right? It's like yeah. you see talent so and you're talent. just like, <laughs> well, it's nice that we're able to siphon some of that talent onto our show. Yeah, uh, it needs and, it. It needs it. Yeah, I mean, he's got th- this family has so much talent that literally it it can fall off of them and land on our show and make our show better, which is super nice. Uh, last week, by the way, so many people loved the Christmas song that we put at the end uh, from the the dulcet tones. Yeah. I got tons of people saying they loved that song. Uh, I think we're gonna put the the Madigans song on the end of this episode. So you get a chance to, but don't just listen to it on our show. Go to their YouTube channel, go to their Spotify and iTunes, uh, and, uh, support them. It's called, Hey, how you doing? It's a great, great song. You'll, you'll hear it at the end of the episode, but support them. Sean always comes through. He made the DLC game of the year, uh, bumper as well as uh, so many other, other bumpers and the new Anthony Tarmina bumper. So, uh, please do support them and their family. It's, uh, it's beautiful, wonderful music and we are privileged to feature it on our show. All right. So let's start talking about the year that was 2020. And of course, any discussion of 2020 news or even in any industry really has to start with COVID-19, the pandemic, all of that stuff. So obviously a major impact on the gaming industry as with every industry. Anthony, I wonder if... um, you want to mention a little bit about how it has changed your coverage of of the gaming industry and what you perceive and what you think going forward uh, the pandemic will will result you in. You know, um, it's I would say in I don't know it was it was like around I don't know when it was but it was the first time where I was like my desire to go to E three said I I just can't go. Even if they put it on, and this was way before we even had any inkling of, you know, the potential. Um, yeah. And so I think, yeah, that that in and of itself, the landscape of games coverage as far as announcements, I think is going to be changed just because there are so many uh, examples of people doing things or companies doing things in a way that doesn't involve anything but a room and a webcam obviously you know you'll be able to spruce it up uh as things get better but just something as simple as we want to show off a new game and we don't have to wait until e3 we don't have to buy a booth we don't have to buy swag we don't have to worry about booking appointments we just go on twitch 
and we put together a presentation and maybe you get more eyes on your game because you did it outside of the kind of craziness of E3. I think that is uh, going to be the, lo- the you know the most significant impact is just the way that companies across the board from Nintendo and Microsoft all the way down to small indie publishers and developers choose to surface their games to people. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And and certainly we are already seeing that trending start with Absolutely. Nintendo, you know, Nintendo Directs have been happening for years and years now, and we saw Sony kind of jumping on that bandwagon as well. And, you know, we were predicting that E3 was changing quite a lot. Obviously, we were not just predicting, we were seeing it happen. We were seeing E3 change right before our eyes, and we were predicting uh, that this would be a much broader trend. And then COVID comes along and acts as an accelerant to all of it, right? It just becomes this necessity and I have a hard time believing the industry will ever go back. As you rightly point out, I think it's proving to everyone how unnecessary a lot of the stuff they had been doing was. Yeah. And it's a bummer for folks like us that have been doing this a long time and, you know, love that sort of old paradigm. Uh, but I, I have a hard time believing we'll get, I mean, and, and it's not just E3, right? We There was no PAX. There was no Gamescom. There, there was no GDC. There was nothing this year obviously. And some of that will come back because some of it serves a different thing. Like GDC, I think, you know, it, it really is a bringing together of industry people of, 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 you know, the, the artists and designers and programmers and people who make games to, to network and find out and share ideas. I think that requires, doesn't require, but I think it is better when people are all in one place. But as a, as a function of PR, I think a lot of these things aren't going to come back and a lot of the stuff that was kind of happening already is just going to continue. And who knows if 2021, you know, we, we have, we're on the, on the verge of, of vaccines and, and, you know, who knows how much of the world is going to come back and how quickly. But I think even if we do have an E3 in June 2021, it's going to be a very, very different event than any of us have ever seen before. Yeah, I do. I do think that those events... Uh, will at least try to come back whether or not you know they will look at the numbers after the first one back and decide it is or isn't worth it but i i do think that they'll believe that okay we can do something whatever uh participation they get i do i will say that i think uh the conversation around cyberpunk maybe has tilted the scales back towards Maybe it is good to have these in-person events because it gets more people asking questions, seeing mm-hmm. things, look more eyes on things, more uh, less control of the narrative around a game. Yeah, um, that's a really good point. It's a really so good point. I, w- I would say that, you know, uh, that was always one of the benefits is to have so many different people play a game versus it was so controlled as far as preview events for cyberpunk yeah. and the lead up to release and even review copies or codes that you didn't really have the opportunity to really get that sense. And an event like E3 or gamescom, it lets not just press play games, but just attendees play games and the conversations are bigger. And the, the noticing of the details is a lot more widespread that people say, Hey, I, you know, I played this game and, my experience was, you know, for example, let's just say, you know, I played it at a demo and it crashed a million times and right. then you could say, well, okay. Yeah. So I think, I think that, you know, maybe we'll tip the scales backwards, but I still think 
as far as announcements. And if you can't afford it, the developers that were kind of going for broke and then were eventually going broke because they tried to promote their game so crazily, they will see more of an avenue through YouTube and Twitch to be able to show people the games. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess the counter argument to that is how successful the game awards were this year. Um, It looks like a massive spike in viewership for the game awards year to year. Uh, So even from 2019, there was just this huge uptick in people tuning in. And I would attribute part of that. I mean, this is just, you know, outside looking in two cents, but I would attribute part of that to this sort of thirst for a concentrated event Oh where, yeah, absolutely. You know, I agree. I we hadn't had anything like it all year. You know, there was there was these yeah. sort of um, really sad attempts to to create like an online packs or an online things that you know were were noble efforts, and I applaud the organizations that tried to do them. But it's just not the same. And I think you had something like the Game Awards that was built for that anyway as a streaming thing. Yeah, and this no, sort I of agree. one night here it is. It's all this concentrated information. I think it um, it proves that maybe there is still this desire for that, or it could be beneficial for some to still kind of create a, a moment in time rather than, you know, these, these bespoke little videos, but Christian uh, speaking about COVID and it's, it's huge impact this year on the games industry. What are your feelings? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like you both mentioned, been an accelerator and changes that we were already seeing. And I think it could also lead to um, diversification of teams quicker than maybe we were already seeing as well as um, teams learn to work remotely a little better than before. And that kind of expands the talent pool and people that might be able to be involved in something that otherwise maybe couldn't because of geolocations and, and trying to get somewhere, work somewhere, the idea of what a connected team can be and, and how they can still function at a high level in that way. Um, I, I do think we will see events come back. It might not be till 2022, but I, I think that the glow uh, is a little stronger and longer for games where, and maybe it's just because everything was virtual this year. Cause you mentioned that the game awards was like, you know, a bigger hit than others, but you have to remember that Jeff also not you, Jeff Keeley was also responsible for producing, I believe and hosting gamescom, you know, digital this mm-hmm. year. And they tried to do a big thing there. And I, I think right now, and I think this year's Game Awards show was very good. I also think Gamescom did some very good things, and there were other very good presentations. But I think for me right now, the Game Awards um, is kind of sticking out because of recency. It's just there's there's so much, and it's all been virtual that I think in the few months when the next one comes along, you kind of forget where that other thing was. Like I'll use Wonder Woman 84 as an even more recent example. I loved that film. I wept multiple times during it. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Wonder Woman um, 84? Wonder Woman 84, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. As, We're going to have a conversation about that offline. Okay, great. <laughs> as, a, as a streaming release, you know, I, I do think like the glow and the discussion of it is just, it's just faster and gone in a minute because it's like, okay, well, I watch, I binged The Mandalorian and you're like, okay, well, Cobra Kai season is out. Okay. And it just kind of falls into this stuff of just like, there's everything competing and it's all accessible the same way, same place versus... I was at this event. I did this thing. It like, to me, at least that helps solidify the memory of where you were, what you were doing, like going to a theater, seeing this thing, like everything else about the experience versus like, when did that happen? Where was I? I was on my couch. What was I doing? Watching on my TV. 
what was that again? When did I see that trailer? Was that the, it just kind of, for me, conflates. And I'm curious also to see with everything, as far as I know, like viewership's been up, like game sites have had more page views and people are home and, you know, looking at things. But I'm curious what, uh, you know, what the uh, click through, so to speak, is for all of these things. And if, if more impressions leads to more purchases later, or if we've kind of, we're at like a um, snakes on a plane level, you know, where like everything's memed and talked about, but actually very little is, is then uh, purchased or converted into a, a paying person. Um, I, will, I will say I have a friend who works in uh, at a car dealership and he said it, they have made the most business. Uh, he works for Honda and he said within Honda, they have done the most business ever. Wow. Hmm. Tale of two cities, right? People have money and are spending it and other people have yeah. no money. Um, the world is, I don't want to get there right now. Uh, the other thing I think that we might see come out of this, I hope, and I think Anthony's point to cyberpunk is a good one. Um, and I don't know how much COVID is, <laughs> uh, 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 kindling in this, but more lead times in games if or when possible. And I don't know if it's like, Hey, you got to be prepared for a pandemic. You never know, but or maybe it's the way things can work remotely now where people pad games a little bit more, but so much unpredictability in games already. And then with just how quickly all of that can change again, I, yeah. I hope that we see more extended deadlines on things and give the teams the time to make great games. And we see less, um, not great games. <laughs> well, I think you bring up another of the biggest stories of 2020 and that is game delays and, and sure game delays have happened every year. Uh, you know, it's nothing new to the games industry, but I think it's related to COVID. Obviously every single industry on the planet had to adjust in some way. And, games industry was no different in figuring out how to keep making things without people being in the same place at the same time. And I think a lot of that contributed to game delays, but also I think we saw some really impactful game delays. I mean, it's hard to even remember it sitting here now, but there was a moment at which the last of us part two was delayed indefinitely. Yep. It was a game that was, for all uh, accounts, done, gold, ready to be shipped, sitting in boxes, and they delayed the game indefinitely. We 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 thought the game might not come out, uh, and that you know that's a, a pretty amazing thing that was happening around what May of this year. Um, obviously, I think the big marquee game delay of the year is Halo Infinite, right? That's the the game that was going to be a tentpole for Microsoft and for the release of the Xbox Series S and X consoles. And it got delayed a full year, at least, we know. Um, so, and that's just among many, many other huge delays. Obviously, the Cyberpunk multiple delays were uh, a huge news stories every time they happened. Yeah. And I think it's pretty clear it should have been delayed again. But what do you make of of game delays uh, in 2020 anthony it was it was really interesting i think the one of the i think there's two parts to it that is sort of fascinating i think the one part was and it worked itself out was the what's going to happen when you know if retail just isn't an option that was kind of yeah. the last of us concern was we the game is ready but 
we it's this is a massive game and we need this massive game to have all of the avenues available to it in order to you know make money you know whether or not you know you think about that side these games cost a lot of money and regardless of how successful they are in terms of their quality they do still need to turn a profit in order to continue these companies making more and so yeah that was a big concern but then it you know we sort of as a society worked it out and just said okay you can go buy stuff it's fine um but that it may that not be was, fine was, but we're doing it anyway yeah, that was but that was that was a real like because Final Fantasy VII Remake also entered into that similar territory of saying, yeah. well, we don't want people to you know, have to go into stores, so we're going to just start shipping them now. Yeah, uh, And then the game was out, and people could, could watch full playthroughs well before it while they were waiting for their own version. There was a lot of interesting things happening there that just kind of uh, worked itself out for better or worse. But then the Halo thing, I think, is the most interesting because I can't think of another game that the basically the fans got it delayed. Yeah, you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't Cyberpunk. CD Projekt Red was deciding to delay it. The fans basically got the game delayed. Yeah, found it unacceptable. <laughs> Deemed it not ready for release. <laughs> because I'm, I, I will say, if if they just showed stuff and didn't hear any feedback, and they just put it out in a vacuum, there's no way they would have delayed that game. Like I agree. There's just no way it was. But like, I think it's to their credit, right? I think that oh, I think that you know, especially if you if you look at the two examples of Cyberpunk and Halo, where Halo is like, "Hey, this is what we've got," and people are like, "Ooh, that doesn't seem ready," and they're like, "You know what? I guess you're right. It's not." With you know, in contrast to Cyberpunk, where it's like, "We'll just hide all the things that aren't ready from you guys, and you'll you won't notice. We'll put it out." And everyone went, "Wait a minute! Now that it's out, we notice all the yeah. stuff." Uh, I think I think. Hopefully those two cases provide a stark uh, (laughs) lesson for the industry. I do think it will lead to situations where, uh, for better or worse, gamers, fans, whatever you want to call it, will feel they have the power to get games delayed. And maybe developers will feel like, hey, management isn't listening to us, so we're going to show people the game. We're going to request a demo, and hopefully... You know, fingers crossed, they'll see what we see and they'll, you know, the feedback will be so strong that we'll get, because you have to imagine that, you know, the Halo devs, there were, they weren't all just like, okay, this is our product and we're, you know, we're so happy with it. They probably also knew where they cut corners yeah, and we're probably thankful in some respects that the game did get delayed and they got more opportunities. I'm sure the cyberpunk devs were are looking at the halo developers and saying, Oh man, that would have been awesome. Yeah. No, I mean, every time you talk to a developer, you hear the same story, right? It's, it's a, it's an industry of compromises. It is, there's never enough time or money. And so it's not like these developers are unaware of the issues with their games. They almost always are. And usually those things are trade-offs that they had to make often reluctantly in order to get things out or to have a feature in or, you know, these, these features that are lost and you hear the outcry from gamers. Oh my gosh, there wasn't a reflection in the puddle or there wasn't a, you know, you told us we were going to be able to use our swords and all we have are baseball bats or whatever it is. It's, it's a dumb example, but um, the idea that somehow the game, the, the developers were gleefully 
pulling one over on their <laughs> customers is, uh, I think, you know, wrongheaded. Obviously, they they want to put all that stuff in. They know when they have to cut corners. So I think, yes, it, it is the kind of thing where having the publisher, in this case, Microsoft, say, okay, you get another year, has to feel like a gift uh, if, if any of these developers shared those feelings, uh, which I suspect many of them might have. So one thing uh, I'll add there that I think yeah. is, I don't know how often this comes up, but in terms of like timing and part of that, you know, it's not necessarily the triangle of time, cost, <laughs> uh, quality, but delays, one thing that can happen due to delays is additional feature creep which then doesn't solve your problem. And I think that can come into play sometimes because tastes change. Um, it, doesn't, right. it doesn't matter. I'll just say like game X, right? Because it doesn't matter what game it is. I don't know any specific example, but it's like game X gets concepted and pitched and, and accepted and put in the pipeline, you know, in 2018 with a two-year development cycle, then gets delayed another year and then uh, Fortnite comes out, <laughs> you know, or something right. like that. And you're like, oh, we need, we need, we need this. We need well, Battle I think, Royale. And I then, think the perfect example of that is Cyberpunk, right? I mean, they explicitly said, hey, we were developing this game as a current gen game. And then all of a sudden the generation was shifting underneath our feet. And we decided we wanted to make this game a next gen game. We wanted to add all those pretty, pretty reflections in our game and make our game look great. And all of a sudden now it doesn't work too well on that previous generation of consoles. I think that is an exact example of what you're talking about. This, in this case, probably a lot of uh, visual stuff, but also I think the way the game world works. I mean, TD Projekt Red said, hey, I don't know about that, but no, what do you mean? Well, just, I, I I don't know the visual stuff. Absolutely. But I think, uh, I think the, the world is not next. I don't even think it's very good for current gen or last gen, but I agree with you, but I mean, I didn't mean the, the, I don't know. I, I meant sort of the, beyond the, the, just the visuals. I suspect there may have been other things that were feature creeped in that wanted to make it feel more next Jenny more special. You know, I, I don't know how I much get what you're I, I get yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, I I just I I, uh, I like to to believe that if if they were only, you know, if they had done that, like you said, and they had, you know, that if you have a monster PC, the game would be perfect. And I think even even on the best hardware, it's still a very problematic game. Sure. Well, so back to the game X, you know, games are often things in time. And when they come out matters, I think, you know, depending on, uh, I think uh, I'll talk about this game potentially later, but I'll throw it out now as an example, like Streets of Rage 4 is an incredible game that came out in a a right moment. Whereas if it had come out, I think immediately after Streets of Rage 3, uh, I think people would have been like, I'm over (laughs) beat-em-ups, you know, or like there are lulls and styles of games and the things that don't hit and they don't, they don't feel right. It's not what people are looking for. And then that genre has a resurgence and you pitch and develop a game to come out to take advantage of it. Or then you miss the moment or, you know, what an RPG changes so significantly or an action game now needs to be what would have been considered an RPG five, (laughs) five years ago. So I love delays and I love having teams have the time to make the game they want and to make it right. But I don't think that necessarily adding time is a solve. I think it creates its own host of problems as well. Um, 
and I'm curious to see what, you know, how that impacts games going forward of this idea of maybe it won't be as big of a deal because every game can be updated and changed. You know, maybe Avengers 2025 is the same game, but it's actually just a battle Royale cart racer, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Or that's what destiny is at this point. It's like destiny go-karts. And you're like, cool. I'm buying that for 40 bucks. Um, I don't know. Can't really talk about 2020 in the game industry without mentioning the new consoles, another huge story this year. And I think most, I mean, we knew they were coming. Everybody was ready. Everybody was excited. We were amped up. I think the success of the consoles is probably a little bigger than anybody really anticipated. The The market was was very much ready for it. And I think amplified by us all being forced to stay at home for most of this year and having video games fit perfectly into that lifestyle made people hungry for new consoles. But I think probably the biggest, and from my perspective, biggest news story about the consoles themselves in 2020 is the fact that there's two versions of both of the big consoles that released this year, uh, that we had multiple SKUs. We did not know that going into 2020. We had some some reason to suspect Microsoft would be doing that. They had been rumblings about a a uh, less expensive version, but it was a huge shock that Sony also offered a disk driveless PS5, and uh, I think that was a it was a huge surprise that happened this year. And Anthony, I wonder how you feel that's going to play out over the lifespan of these consoles having two SKUs each. Well, initially it seemed like it was going to be pretty significant, and then we started uh, having people get their hands on both consoles and. I'm concerned that, you know, Xbox Series S is just going to get kind of left in the dust uh, as far as what what it offers. I had a lot of visions of what I would have liked, you know, developers to do to allow us to go 4K, 1440p, 1080p, choose frame rates, you know, like make sacrifices in one area to get benefits. But we really have a PC. Uh, You're talking about basically a PC, but just to, you know, like that's what they had kind of sold us on was this idea of, you know, you'll, you'll be able to trade things off to get one or the other, but they didn't really say how that would work. And we assumed it would be more PC. Like it's not, there's a lot of just performance fidelity mode. Um, and then over time, like a uh, uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales added a mode that has both ray tracing and uh, tries to give the best frame yeah. rate. So get I think you a mode that does does both, right? Yes, yeah, so I think we can get there. I'm just concerned about the the S specifically. I think the rest are totally fine, um, and they will be um, the options that people will choose whether they want to embrace the all digital future or not. But I I'm concerned that the S just isn't going to be what you know what we thought it might be as as far as like oh it's the 1440p console or the 1080p 60 console maybe not but i don't know well christian spicer you are a new owner of an xbox series s what's your take on that yeah i mean it's tiny that that's my that's my first take it's it's like pictures of the ps5 didn't prepare me for how big the thing was in my actual home the same is true of the series s like opening it and taking it out i was just like this is small this is so tiny um i really like it right now but i am also it's kind of one of those things where it's like is this just text tech lust to fill a hole in my heart like could my xbox one 
do this also <laughs> like you know how how different is this version of valhalla versus the other like all that type of stuff i i you know it, it gets down to the nitty-gritty um but from what i'm for what i'm using it for and i decided to buy one one because i saw one for sale uh and two i have been disappointed by game pass on pc as the years progressed uh in terms of I had experienced it last year. I think talked about it, like the not being able to delete a game off of my hard drive. And then I saw a, a large threat on, on reset era and others talking about it this year. And then EA access being delayed um, for game pass and destiny uh, beyond light coming to PC. I think it's like January or February of 2021. And just things really kind of lagging on the PC side. I was like, you know what? I, it's worth it to me. I have game pass for the next hundred years. <laughs> to invest in this in this system with something under you know under my tv that that plugs into it a little better and the series s has been great for that so far but i I think as anthony mentioned or maybe hinted around there aren't you know we're not at those games yet that that would be pushing it in in any real way shape or form I, i think we will see that potentially and i think it depends on developers i imagine microsoft will do a really great job with their first party games delivering on the series s for Many years, maybe not the entire lifespan of the Series X, um, but for many years, then I could see others not doing as great of a job. You know, like you can still run a lot. Of, if when you look at min specs on PCs, it's fairly min compared to what a lot of PC gamers have in their rigs. <laughs> you know, um, that's not the ideal experience for sure, but it, it's playable. I, I think for me, the two SKUs and, and consoles in general and GPUs, I'll throw GPUs in there as well. And, and I guess even, um, uh, why am I blanking already? The the new AMD um, processors. Um, yeah. CPUs. CPUs, thank you. Like you mentioned the hunger for all of these things, but these shortages kind of blow my mind. Um, especially the GPUs and I guess these consoles too. Like it's always, there's always a rush, but I mean, it is, it is wild. It is absolutely wild to me that, that they are still this hard to find. And I think there was a story, I think it might've been Nvidia or someone that was like, yeah, going into April, (laughs) you're like, we're cranking these things out. We're trying to get them out as fast as we can, but there's just, we're not. That to me is, is, is a bigger surprise than the multiple SKUs is just, how quickly these things went and continue to go and look to continue yeah. to go in the future. I'm sure some of that is supply side uh, difficulties with COVID and who knows, you know, who knows, but it is, it's been a year of not being able to get the tech things that you want, you know, easily. That's for sure. Um, and then I would guess the the biggest other biggest story of the year, there's a, there's a lot of really big stories that we could get into looking back but the other i think megaton bomb going off uh that it felt like in the games industry this year was when microsoft acquired bethesda and i think that one took a lot of people by surprise and it uh has big ramifications going forward for microsoft's library for these very highly anticipated what used to be third party titles that maybe well, our first party now, but we don't know. There's question marks about, you know, where they will be playable and how Microsoft will allow them to be released. Um, but it's an interesting, very interesting story. Anthony, what do you make of Microsoft acquiring Bethesda in 2020? I mean, huge. They 
you know, they had been sort of, you know, acquiring developers and many of them exciting developers that you were saying, you know, can't wait. Uh, but you didn't really know what they were working on. You were just, they were just acquiring them and we didn't really know what they had going. We have a kind of a roadmap of what's next for Bethesda and Microsoft just basically said, it's mine now. Yeah. You know, they said, you want Starfield? Well, maybe you won't be able to play it anywhere else, but uh, you know, PC or Xbox, you want Skyrim or, or not Skyrim, Elder Scrolls six. We got that too now. Um, so that, yeah, that's, I think that's huge as far as like, um, you know, how it will shake out, maybe they'll assign partnerships and things, but that was the first of the acquisitions where it wasn't like, Oh, I like all of the games this developer has made, but I don't know what they're going to make for Microsoft per se. Mm -hmm. And and since we've seen, you know, we've seen that, uh, Hellblade two is going to be, you know, going to be made and, and things like that. But these were, they acquired both the the company and they acquired the games that people are excited for. And we know they're actively working on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Christian, from a gamer's perspective, or at least from my perspective, I'll just speak for myself. The fact that these are going to be on game pass is a huge win. I'm so pleased. Like let this, let this continue. I say as a, as a gamer, who's happily paying my, you know, my nine 99 a month or the equivalent in whatever it was. And we all, bought it in advance. Um, it, it, it's an interesting future now we ha- we have with this company's library being added to Game Pass and these big titles coming up going to be folded right into that service. I think that's a, a huge win for Microsoft, but it seems like a huge win for gamers, especially gamers that are already paying for Game Pass, right? Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, I'm curious to see the long, long, long-term ramifications of this. And if like Bethesda's, you know, they, they feel pressure to put out games more often or not. I don't think they will. And I, I think what this is showing is that there's value in, or Microsoft sees value and paid a lot, a lot of value in these longer games that can also satisfy a player base for a subscription service. It's not, here's 40 new games. It's tomorrow. Here's 42 more games. Here's 60 more games. Here's 10 more games. It's like, oh, this is a game that someone can play for a very long time and happily continue plunking down, you know, whatever it is, 999, 15 bucks for ultimate, I think a month playing where, you know, maybe if you look back on it, you're like, I love the value that game, the air quote value that game pass provides but when I look back on it, I really only played two games. I should have just bought them, <laughs> you know, like Maybe. over yeah. the past four years, I only played these two Bethesda games. Huh. Um, but I think there's, there is a lot of value in games specifically for those longer meteor, get lost in, keep your subscription going month to month to month, instead of maybe letting it lapse and then come back when the next eight hour game comes out that you're excited about. And I think Bethesda will really fit that strategy well for Microsoft. And uh, you know, like you said, they are making a couple of very hyped and excited games. And it, it seems like a, a partnership that makes a lot of sense. And, and then I'm curious to see where else those games are playable and, and how they're available. I think that's going to be another big key component of what this relationship is going into the future. Cause we've yet to see that part of it. Right. And yeah. And their games are likely still a ways away. Um, but then the other side of that same coin is like, well, they're not the only company making these types of games. We had uh, 
Outer Worlds is really cool. Oh, wait, Microsoft owns them also. So, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, hopefully. And it's uh, the that puts Skyrim on literally everything. You know, like every platform imaginable has a Skyrim. So it'll be interesting to see if they remain the kind of company that does that or not. Yes. Or, or maybe the key is that Microsoft puts Xbox, quote unquote, on everything. As we talked about, I think ah. it was last week. You know, it's like it is on your Samsung yeah. smart fridge. <laughs> Hook up yeah. the controller, go play. I mean, that may be the secret sauce is that uh, it's not about acquiring exclusives per se. It's about uh, having great content that incentivizes people to have a subscription to a service and they can play it on whatever they want. Uh, I think that's, I think they want to be Netflix. And I think that's a very wise of them. I'm, I'm the ready. Games are exclusive to the service, but the service is exclusive to nothing. Exactly. Yep. All right. Well, uh, that was 2020's biggest news. I mean, there's a lot of other things we could talk about. It was quite the tumultuous year, as we all know. And the video game industry was no, was no exception. So, it's time now to move on and talk about our favorites of the year. But first, I want to thank our sponsor, which is HelloFresh. Talk about my favorites of the year. Holy moly, I just made um, some pork chops the other night. Oh, man, from HelloFresh. Tonight, we decided not to do HelloFresh, but that's only because I'm saving my HelloFresh for tomorrow <laughs> because the new box comes tomorrow. I love HelloFresh so much. Uh, we have a pasta that we're saving for tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. I love it so much. It has changed my life. Fresh, pre-measured ingredients, uh, delightful recipes delivered right to my door. A menu that changes, adds variety to our diet, is convenient and easy and stress-free. I don't have to worry about what we're going to eat. I don't have to worry about going to the grocery store. I don't have to leave my house. It shows up on my doorstep. The recipes are easy to follow. Even a dummy like me, who barely can shake two sticks together, that's not a thing. Anyway, I can't even make a, an analogy, let alone cook. I'm able to cook these meals, and I'm able to feel the pride of being able to cook for my family. I love it. I've, I've actually fallen in love with cooking. I enjoy it now because of HelloFresh. And these mess recipes don't take forever. You can get them on the table in about 30 minutes, and you save 40% when you use... HelloFresh versus shopping at the grocery store. That's incredible. You get a variety of different things. I love choosing the, the menu uh, weeks in advance. You can go on their app. and we, I, I love it. My wife and I spend time picking out recipes that look delicious uh, in the upcoming weeks. And then every week, it's a surprise what we get because we've forgotten what we picked. And it's, this ma it's amazing. I would never have that kind of variety. Plus, we're eating sustainably. And HelloFresh is the first global carbon neutral meal kit company. On the planet, that's pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, they use recycled materials uh, and the pre-portioned ingredients means I'm not wasting stuff. There's not stuff going bad in my fridge. It's flexible. I can take weeks off if I need to. I can come back to it. I can create menus however I want. Vegetarian, you got it. It's so simple. And you can also feel good because HelloFresh gives back. They have given, donated, 3.5 million meals in 2020. That's incredible. So why not try it yourself? I love HelloFresh and you can too. When you go to hellofresh.com slash DLC80 and then use promo code DLC80, you'll get a total of $80 off, including free shipping. 
That's HelloFresh.com slash DLC80 and the promo code DLC80. You can remember it because you get a total of 80 bucks off. Give it a shot. I think you're going to love it. All right. Let us get into it. DLCs, Games of the Year. Sampling. Based on an incomplete sampling, we now present to you, dear listener, our top five favorite games of 2020. Anthony Taormina, you'll be first. We're going to start with five and count down to one. So what is your number five? My number five is Immortals Phoenix Rising. Ooh, it is a game I have absolutely fallen in love with. Uh, pretty big surprise this game, right? Did you expect it to be in your top five when you heard about this game early in the year? Oh, definitely not. Um, uh, I mean, you know, people had when they had shown it and compared it to Zelda and said it looks like Zelda Breath of the Wild caught my attention. Uh, Gens- Genshin Impact was a similar game that people said it's kind of similar to Breath of the Wild. Didn't really get those vibes the more I played Genshin Impact, but. I think the thing that surprised me the most about this game, and I don't know if you agree, Jeff, but the sense of humor in this game is like exactly my sense of humor. (laughs) Uh, I always make jokes with my friends about, you know, movies or TVs or things where like uh, something will happen and it'll fade to black. And then I always go and credits. And this game has that joke of like, you know, these fake things and just, uh, silly humor. I, I, I love the narration. I, I love the story and that part. And then it's just a fun game to play. It's, it is kind of, uh, the first game to bite that Zelda breath of the wild formula and do it well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I I love it too. And I think you're right about the, the humor. It is, uh, as Christian points out, it's, you know, it's, it doesn't always hit the mark, but it's funny enough. And you see it's, it's dumb humor. It is dumb humor. I mean, there's jokes about being turned into a chicken. There's do- lots of jokes about uh, that are, that are kind of goofy and and base. But there's also a lot of jokes where a deep and thorough understanding of Greek gods and the lore involved in them is required. You know, like it, it is. It pays off if you understand all of these myths and legends. Uh, it's 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 kind of smart on that level too. I I don't think it's just dumb humor, but it is goofy and it doesn't take itself seriously. And I think it's charming. It is a nice respite from all of the other you know very self serious games out there. Yeah, and I think the the loop is great. Of so good, uh, you know the traditional Ubisoft. You know here are the things on the map, but I love the vaults. Um, the uh, just like the simple things that you can do in in the game, they're just really I don't know it. They are the distractions that usually I give myself one or two a year, like an open world game where okay, I'm going to do a lot more of these things than I would in other games, and this is that game where I just yeah. enjoy the shooting the arrow through the hoops or oh, running so to, running to the uh, to the, the shining platform or or just that stuff. It's it's all just so fun and it's not 
um, it's not super serious and it's not, yeah, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't ever feel like, uh, you're getting bogged down in any, in any systems or you have to worry about managing anything more than just, you can just hack and slash if you want to, or you can go crazy and pick stuff up and throw it and, you know, use a lot more than you would otherwise, but you can just get by doing other things as well. I also think it does the carrots on a stick really, really well. It, it, creates a system of uh of currencies and the things that i want to buy with those currencies are all really valuable and impactful it doesn't do levels you know just like zelda doesn't do levels it doesn't you know you're not leveling up like you do in assassin's creed but you are getting more powerful because you're acquiring new abilities and all of the things whenever i go in with all my new shiny crystals and things that i've acquired i want to buy a bunch of different things and there are a lot of games where i mean like cyberpunk is a great example cyberpunk is a game where i ha- i'll have like multiple uh you know purchasable talents wait you know uh, waiting for me to use up and i'm just looking at the talent list going i mean i guess i guess i'll take that yeah. there's no there's nothing i'm burning desire. me at auditions they're like yeah I, get, I mean i got a lot of people out here but i don't yeah. like any of them no i don't even give or get the i guess i i just get the Next. Yeah, I, anyway. I I do I do enjoy that it has a lot of things to work towards. Like, oh, that would that would be cool. That if I could, you know, just to add add a you know a couple hits to my combo, I want to work yeah. towards that. Or just simple like, oh, these vaults you could completely ignore them, but you notice that your stamina drains faster. So you, why not why not get a couple of them or get yeah. your health up and things like that. I. I was reminded actually of God of War in that regard. Like God of War, the the remake God of War game, I always felt like there was so many different skills that I wanted to equip and I could only ever equip two or four or whatever it was. I can't remember. But uh, it just felt like, oh man, I want to do all of this awesome stuff. And I think too few games understand that. So many games with progressions just allow you to just incrementally increase things. And it, that doesn't feel great. That doesn't feel satisfying but actually having all of these cool things that really impact the game a lot. Anyway. Yeah. In in a year when Ubisoft put out three open world games, like back to back to back, this was the game that I was not expecting to make my top 10, let alone my top five, but it did. Immortals Phoenix rising. Number five, Christian Spicer. What is your number five? So I'm going to say a few games here, and this is not me oh, trying that's to, not, that's not allowed. Listen, oh, listen. Already started. Shut, shut your traps. Both of you wait for a thought to right. be completed. The rules. And then chime in. This is not me saying that I'm trying to cram these into my list. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to say all of these are tied for number five, which I've, I've done ties. I'm fine with ties. These are not ties. I'm going to explain my thought process for, mm-hmm. and I have a firm number five and I will say the name of the number five. It's, it is it's my, way of, it's just a different way of cheating. Is nope, what it is. It's, it's explaining. So here's why I struggled with number five. Um, typically, I don't want to say all the time because I can, I can probably think of an of a example where this didn't happen. But typically, my five favorites are games that I finished because they were my favorites of the year. So I finished them. This year, all of my games on my list, four and up, are games that I finished. Number five, the games that I was juggling around in my head trying to come up with which, you know, which one is my number five, I had not finished any of them. And so they kind of kept jumping and, and, and popping in for a little bit and then popping out. And this is partly why I like calling it my favorites of the year, because I haven't finished them. <laughs> you know, it's favorites, again, based on an incomplete sampling of the games themselves. 
Um, you know, I don't imagine any of these would, you know, crap the bed so bad that I'd be like, never mind. <laughs> it is no longer my, uh, my fifth favorite game of the year. Um, and I really struggled with it. I really struggled with it. But, um, so I will say my fifth, and then I will talk about the the things that I considered kind of juggling here. Um, and I agree with Anthony. It's Immortals Phoenix Rising is my number five oh, wow. favorite of the year. And I have not finished it. Um, but as crunch time has kind of come into play here at the end of the year, and I was balancing Cyberpunk, Hades, I, I don't know what that is yet. Um, and then I had it for longer. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2, the game I kept going back to was Immortals Phoenix Rising. As I'm like, you know what? I, I'm, I feel like I'm close in Hades. I gotta, I'm going to get through. I love this game. It's super fun. I should finish it so I can put it on my list. <laughs> and then I'd be like, okay, I did two runs on Hades, didn't finish it. That, that seems like good enough work today. Anyway, where was I in Immortals Phoenix Rising? <laughs> and I kept going, Cyberpunk, it's like, this is, you know what? That was a really fun mission. Yeah, wow, I should do more of these side missions. This is really interesting. Although, Immortals Phoenix Rising is also on my hard drive. And here I am two hours later, back in Immortals Phoenix Rising, doing more side missions and and little yeah. just distractions and I think, and I think I sent this to you as a text, Jeff, and to echo, I'm, I'm not going to echo, but I will put my plus one onto everything that you both said about the game, but trying to come up with other discussion points. For me, uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising is slotting into my list very similarly to how Darksiders Genesis did, I think, last year, where it was very much, like, I, I loved Darksiders Genesis. I will stand by that as a pick. Um, but also it like Immortals Phoenix Rising feel like right game, right time, right place. And it's a world that is happy and bright and I like being in and my kids can watch me play and help me with puzzles and, you know, all of those things that here at the end of the year and holidays and we're all home anyway, but, you know, more so on top of each other now, it feels really good to be like, Hey, I'm going to do this big, um, puzzle level girls you want to come watch and they're like are you playing immortals yeah and they run in all excited and my oldest has watched me play some hades but she's like yeah okay <laughs> you know like that right it's super well written hades is, is is paced brilliantly i think and i think what it does to the genres of roguelikes is fascinating like all right you're talking about a game that's not on your list right now christian well, i'm talking about games you're that doing are a half an hour on on i'm not, uh, I'm not. You're talking about nine more games to get to favorites versus best. <laughs> and i think while if a gun to my head i could maybe argue other games are better and more deserving of a of a better fifth spot immortals phoenix rising a game i have not finished easily lands on my fifth favorite for 2020 awesome my number five game is ori and the will of the wisps which is a game that came out right at the beginning of 2020 but my goodness i hope a lot of people haven't forgotten this one because it is exquisite i didn't even really love the first ori game but this one really grabbed me and i just thought it was so gorgeous uh, utterly 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 beautiful especially in hdr vibrant beautifully animated a world of rich imagination the combat system and the traversal system precise and fun and engaging 
I mean, I absolutely loved Ori and the Will of the Wisps. It's the best platformer I played all year by far. And I think it easily made my number five. Ori and the Will of the Wisps. All right. Uh, Number four. Anthony Tarmini, what's your number four? Well, I was silent because I, too, did not forget about Ori and the Will of the Wisps. It is my number four. Hey, all right. I I adored this game. It is so good. Um, I think one of the best things about the game is that you didn't realize the way that everything is going to come together. I'm trying to speak vaguely, but the first game, it kind of feels like a complete story and an adventure. And then the second game starts and you think, okay, well, this is just another adventure, but it, it brings everything full circle. It does some really interesting storytelling things. Um, There are some moments in this game that are just unbelievably uh, heartbreaking. Yeah. They're really, really sad. Um, And the way it tells the story throughout with no dialogue you know, there's narration, but it's gibberish narration and subtitles. The, there is so much visual storytelling happening in this game. And I think that the little changes they made, um, you know, adding on top of the traversal in addition to the, uh, you know, being able to kind of like zap through uh, like particles and things like that, but taking everything to new levels and, and just the creativity of the boss encounters, that giant frog is so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it is just a beautiful game. I think if you have an Xbox Series X uh and you are looking for the game to show off your Xbox Series X, I think it this is the game. I haven't played it on Switch, but it seems like it'd be an awesome Switch game too. Oh, for sure. I just mean visually. If you're looking oh, for yeah. like I don't there yeah. was no exclusive, this pop it in on Game Pass. Totally. And on a Series X, it's got that like expanded mode where uh, it has like 120 frames per second. It's just it's just stunning. Yeah, right. I, I love it. That's your number four, Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Christian Spicer, what is your number four? Spider Man Miles Morales. Uh, yeah. Speaking of games that you know are great show offs for your next gen system, even though they are not exclusive to it, I think uh, Spider Man Miles Morales is an absolute showstopper on PS5. Um, and now with the <laughs> that I've joking, jokingly referred to in my head, because that's all, all I all we have now is just ourselves as we sit inside all the time. But the the compromise mode, there's ray tracing or frames or kind of both um get you a mode to do both it's like pretty good at both great at neither <laughs> pretty good at both. um but i think it's even more of a showstopper and i think that is a mode that a lot of people will enjoy um but with those rays and seeing beautiful ray tracing on consoles with the city reflections and the lighting and, and the way it bounces around the suit and much like um infamous kind of showed off lighting on ps4 what this game does showing off ps5 and the lighting techniques that it that it allows um is incredible and i think it's such a well-paced game a great story great characters and while i loved uh spider-man the the original base game whatever you want to call it the first spider-man game i think that while it was very true to peter parker i didn't like playing all of those parts like i didn't come to the spider-man game for a puzzle mini game I had to do 
Oh, I loved that stuff. 20 times. Like to me, I was like, eh. and I love Mary Jane and I love her as a character, but I didn't come to that game to crouch and hide behind a box for two seconds. And then move, like yeah, those weren't the strong gameplay parts for me. And I think Spider-Man Miles Morales really streamlined that. Like the moments of the game are what I wanted to be doing. And they did them beautifully with a story that really resonated in a, in a beautiful recreation of New York. And it easily... If if people started arguing with me, I could move it up on my list. <laughs> yeah. All right. Those are our, oh, oh um, my number four. I haven't even said my number four. My number four is a little game. I know Christian hasn't heard of it, but it's called Hades. And it is a triumph from Supergiant. My goodness. This game just dripping with attention to detail, love, passion. It, uh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing game. Um, just precision combat, the kinds of things that makes me, make me still laud Bastion all these years later as one of my favorite all time indie games. Uh, Hades does that just as well and adds the layer of this spiraling, sprawling, branching story that weaves its way through all these different characters, through all these different permutations all this randomness that you get from roguelites, but still kind of holds together and creates this, this really fascinating series of tunnels you can go down depending on what the game presents to you and what interactions you've had with all these characters. It's, it's a remarkable achievement just on that level, above and beyond the, the spot-on action gameplay that it offers. And it's beautiful. I mean, I love the art style. There's just so much to like with Hades, and it just feels like such a great, great culmination of everything Supergiant has done before. Um, just a spectacular game. I'm, I'm happy to put Hades as number four on my list. Yeah, it, it, it is brilliant, and I think what it brings to the roguelike genre of a story that I think if we sat here and talked about moments we've seen, they'd be different. Like that behind the scenes chess of what goes on and when you get different interactions and reactions that seem, and maybe I could be wrong. Maybe it's like, no, that's exactly what happened to me. But it seems like it's built around your playthrough and how many times it took you to do something. Yeah. It makes it feel fun and fresh. Um, the thing that I think held it back for me is just like, not knowing how close I was to the end, if that makes sense, where it's like, right. oh, I feel like I got it. And then the next time I die at Meg and I'm like, how did that happen <laughs> this time? And so like, that's yeah. the thing that kept me off for like, otherwise I'm like, oh, this is the last boss. I I will grind this last boss <laughs> until my fingers bleed. I, Hades, I think I you have to surrender to the fact that there's no end in that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, a, all right. Yep, those are our number fours. On to number three. Anthony Tarmina, what is your number three favorite game of 2020? My number three is, speaking of games to show off your PlayStation 5, Demon's Souls. Yeah, man, what a gorgeous, gorgeous game that is. Yeah, I I would say uh, it is, uh, not that there are a lot of comparisons, but I think it is the best looking next-gen console game it 100 yeah uh, jaw dropping yes so great to just look at and if you are familiar with the demon souls prior game from uh from software 
you know, you, you will just appreciate it even more, but even if you have no uh, prior familiarity with the game, it's, it plays so well, it runs so well, it captures the spirit of the game, but modernizes it just enough to, you know, not make people that would be coming in from a different perspective feel like, Oh, this is just, I'm playing an old game that looks new. It, it still does feel modern, but, it's just a fun game. I love all of the from software games. And I think that what blue point was able to do to uh, take what they had done and do a great service to the visuals and the gameplay. It's, it's such a fun game to just mess around with. But even if we're just looking at it from the perspective of like, how is it as a remake? It's also extremely well done. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not the Demon Souls fan, but my goodness, I, that's the one that that really felt like, oh, oh, this is what we can expect over the next five to six years. You know, this is the kind of visual leap that, you know, with all due respect to Miles Morales, which I think looks great, it, it's not where we're going to be in this when games are actually being made for these consoles. And I feel like Demon Souls is also not quite there. You know, I, I'm confident that we're even going to see things by the end of this generation that make that look primitive, yeah. but it's much bigger, much closer to what I think the the baseline is going to be like very, very soon. And my goodness, it is stunning. So um, good, good pick. Blue Point is a studio that I don't know if they'll ever get it, but should be up for studio of the year a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Like the work they do on beloved... <laughs> old games you know is stellar I, I can't imagine that's an easy task it's not easy to make a great new game either certainly but they've worked on some franchises that people have some thoughts about <laughs> for sure and, and have yeah. knocked them out of the park a lot yeah of time. I, I think that they have sort of if not single-handedly at least inspired the conversation that has led to mafia remake and you know all of these other games that maybe other companies wouldn't have even considered if they had not seen like, Oh wow, we can basically give people the same game, change things in the gameplay, but just up the visuals. And if we just preserve the spirit of the game, it is going to be well liked by people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to feel new. Yeah. All right. That was your number three demon souls, Christian Spicer, number three on your favorites of the year. Well, I'm ready for uh, you all to make fun of me some more. You made fun of me at my number five when I talked about too many games. Um, I'm ready for you to make fun of me again as I think it was Warframe was the year. Maybe it was PUBG was the year where it's like, I don't know what years are anymore or what games are anymore. And I've loosened the rules about my list. My number three game of the year is the combination of the Foundation and AWE DLCs for control <laughs> to downloadable content so i was uh, right in that text message where i was like so right i knew it i knew I it thought for sure there's no way he'd do it anthony i thought i no knew he was gonna do it he would I never knew he do that you would never put literally the game that was our show's game of the year last year yeah, yeah. he would not double dip because it got some sweet dlc he would never he would never he wouldn't dare no. Nah. Okay, so I could just say the complete edition because that's a game that came out this year and that concludes that includes those DLCs. It won our game of the our show's singular game of the year was Control last year. 
Are you saying that you're surprised it's number three on my list and not higher also? Me too. I am uh, not surprised one bit. I knew you knew what I was saying when I was like, if we do a DLC category, it's going to invalidate yes. Christian's list because yes. I knew that there was at both Miles and Foundation slash yes. AWE were going to be on this. Yeah. And, and Miles Morales is also that thing in a, a weird, it's like, it's, is it a sequel? You could buy it by itself. So I guess it's different than Control where you can't, I guess you could if you bought the complete edition. Um, but it, they're stunning. They're stunning. And and I think that you all, you know, yes, make fun of me. I can take it. It's fine. I understand. Ha, 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 ha. But to- yeah, you've shown us in hasn't affected you one bit. <laughs> this is my last show. Nobody <laughs> likes me. He's um, got the lipstick and he's writing our names on the wall behind him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, see, one of my favorite games of the year. Well, I have this one here. It says, I hate Jeff. Uh, sorry, I don't. My list is covered in that now. Uh, uh, what's going to happen is our prediction show, Jeff. When we do it next week, it's just you and me. Except you thought it was just you and me, but it's going to be just you and the Spaceman, baby. Oh no! We do ninety plus minutes of predictions like this. Oh, no, no. Oh, oh no! It's going to be a wild year for games, baby. <laughs> um, it's all like, over. It's well, all over, ladies and gentlemen. I, Yes, I love Control, and I love I still love that game. And I think it's not super common that DLC comes out that, in my opinion, lives up to the hype or the standards that the game set. And these two packs, Foundation and AWE, I think did both of those. The Foundation expanded on the world in really fun and interesting ways and answered some questions and totally blew up others. And AWE, I think the way that they've created this Remedy universe out of it and tied things into Alan Wake and it promised an expansion of more of that kind of thing. Also, I think was done really well. They were both really tall tasks in order to pull something off. And I, I love that gameplay. Uh, it, it's phenomenal and so much fun. And I hope more people are experiencing it now on this new gen of consoles as well, where maybe it gets closer to that PC experience, but I am happy, happy to take the ridicule. Of, include, of including two DLC packs at my number three game of the year this I year. I would like, yeah. you said, this is unheard of. You have two DLCs on one list and your game of the year a few years ago was Lost Legacy. That also was a standalone purchase. I think this is the first time I've had something that can't be purchased by itself or even started. I don't think you can start either one of these from the yes, beginning. When you said Lost Legacy, both Jeff and I went, I'm cheating. It's a great game. I stand by it. I stand by it, Anthony. And you can address those letters to Christian Spicer at istandbyit.com. The best man needs more spice. (laughs) All right. Uh, That was making a Travis Shamakery of uh, number three on our list. And it falls to me to pull us back towards something that means anything. And that is my number three. The Last of Us Part Two. Some might say too low on the list. Others might say too high on the list. For me, it's just right. Because uh, I do think this is a masterpiece of game design. Uh, it moved me and affected me in ways that, I, that will be with me for the rest of my life, I think. It is a piece of art that affected me in the way that great novels, great movies, great TV shows, great music has affected me. Uh, and that's a high praise for a video game. I don't think there are a lot of video games that even attempt to do that. 
And I think Last of Us Part Two is powerful. It is gorgeous. It is creating a world on what is outdated hardware almost immediately when it was released. The hardware upon which it was released was outdated and yet looks better than 99% of even stuff that's on PlayStation 5 and uh, Xbox Series X. Just a, a an incredibly detailed, beautifully artistically realized world uh, a game that has uh, sets this, the new standard for accessibility options in video games, sets the standard for acting in video games. I mean, it is it is a true masterpiece, and I also think the story is very compelling. It is not a game. I think the reason that it's not higher on my list is it is not a game that I look forward to revisiting or really want to put myself through again. Not that I even revisit games that often, but just the idea of it. It was not a pleasant experience. It was a difficult and challenging experience. Um, not in a Twitch video game kind of way, but from an emotional uh, emotional ringer kind of way. And in that sense, you know, this was a hard year. This was a year full of, of a lot of depressing, hard things in life. And having a video game put me through that also uh, didn't feel great. And I don't, I, I don't, we're talking favorites of the year it is not a favorite experience, but it is certainly a video game I admire greatly and one that I think deserves to be on my list. So The Last of Us Part Two is my number three. Does, Does it have any DLC or anything on it? <laughs> not yet, but I hear there's a great podcast. Yeah, podcast can't be game of the year. Pass. Game of the year 2021 is going to be the multiplayer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, we're up to number two. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Number two, Anthony Tarmito, what is your number two? My number two is Final Fantasy VII Remake. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. high. That yeah. is high High praise for that game. Um, tell me why. Did you love the original Final Fantasy VII? I did. Um, yeah. I, I like Final Fantasy VII uh, a lot. It is, you know, up there as one of my favorite games of all time for sure. Um, but I don't think that this game is, you know, uh, it really isn't, it doesn't play like it at all. It just, it, it has some similar moments, but if I'm going to talk about anything, I think the thing that I want to talk about is, uh, one of the elements that I like about final fantasy seven remake is that it kind of like iron man three, plays on the expectations of the fans. It indulges uh, fan expectations in a way that I don't think any other video game has in that it, a plot line of the game is essentially it being a remake more or less uh, trying to be somewhat vague, but it's just, I, I love that the way that it deals with this idea of, you are playing through a game that is supposed to be a remake, but then is trying to deviate from being a remake. It's kind of crazy, uh, but visually love it. I like the combat. I think that the way that they incorporate uh, the RPG elements from the original, but give it more of an active uh, combat system is great. I think that the, um, the way that it plays around with um 
letting you control different characters is great. I just, I had such a, such a great time with it. But if there's one thing that stands out, I love the way that it plays into your expectations of what you think a remake should be and says, Hey, we got something crazy planned. Yeah. Yeah. Like not getting through the entire plot of the game yet. Well, that's, that's <laughs> pretty but it, I think that the way that it cuts off is actually really brilliant. Uh, I would imagine that neither of you got to that point. No, uh, but I haven't got to like the downloading it or installing the disc into my console. It, I played a lot of it and I, and I enjoyed what I played. I, I just, I think the things that they updated were, were interesting. Like they inverted the things that I would update, right? I would have kept the combat system turn-based and updated the way you move through the world and make that less binary and uh, on rails and not sort of node to node E on like jump pads and stuff like that. Um, so that, I, that, is the first, that is the first part of the game. It is like oh, it changes. Well, no, no, no. That is like the, where they cut off in oh. the original is very much less open. And then you get to what is kind of like the second half or the back two thirds. Right of the original game is a lot more open. And I think that they are going a similar way. It's crazy. I mean, we, I don't want to talk about spoilers, but I can say some things spoiler wise that would blow both of your minds. And you'd be like, wow, that actually is kind of amazing. You know, I, I want to go back to it. I have a lot of hours into that game. I, I can't remember exactly where I left off, but I, I did intend to finish it. I just kind of got a fatigued by sure. it at a certain point. I, I do want to go back to it. There's so much, there's so many games to play right now. Um, but yeah, I think it's a great, great game to put on your list. And I'm glad that you love it that much. I do think it is a, a cool achievement and bodes well. I mean, two remakes on your list. That's pretty amazing. Uh, I think that's, that's kind of a neat sign for this industry and this, this hobby, right? That there are these vaunted, revered games of old that can have new life that can actually still be relevant, uh, now, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, Christian Spicer, your number two game of the year. Favorite. So now I'm really ready for you all to make fun of me. Um, oh, we started a really? press release. I'm giving it to a press release. <laughs> no, it is the PlayStation 5 startup sound. I <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Xbox wait, Series wait, wait, X. Are you, really, are you really ready? It has the same sound. And I want to I want to hear a new sound as I enter a new generation. <laughs> no, it's are you, really, are you really setting us up though? No, my number two game is Ghost of Tsushima. Ghost of Tsushima. Golly, can't say it. Love to play it. Um, to me, it represents so much of what an exquisite video game should be. It's a world I want to explore and spend all of my time in, but it's also a game that both respects my time and lets me waste it in a in a very enjoyable way. Like I can chase a fox multiple all these foxes forever uh or it's very easy to mainline um and i like that it let me explore i thought the way they handled navigation through the wind was really refreshing and a cool way to have me spending time in the beautiful vistas i loved the combat i i loved going into enemy camps and just clearing people out not because i had to but because i wanted to i loved coming across people out in the open and being like, yeah, I could go around this person, but I'm not. We're going to enter a duel and it's going to be amazing. I loved how cinematic it was and how unapologetic it was with its cinematic approach to things. The end of missions, much like Control, a game I've never heard of or a DLC I didn't play. Um, 
the way it frames when missions end and like the name comes up and then blows away like cherry blossoms and those those the way the camera's positioned or you pet your horse between things all of that stuff just layers on the feels of what this game is and i thought it told an incredible story along the way too one that was was personal um certainly grand but not um you know, we're defending all of Japan and I go from here to here. It, it's very intimate and very specific to this character and what they're going through. And that can be the whole world for someone. And then again, the combat, the way it, it unlocks and changes and what you're able to do and the runs you're able to put together are so satisfying. And I guess I need to say it for this and Spider-Man, really bug free, you know, just super playable out the gate and then that free DLC they added here late in the year too. Um, and the way it runs on PS5, if you've missed it and are looking to pick it up now, it's just exquisite on PS5. Ghost of Tsushima is an incredible game uh, and easily, 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 easily on my top five favorites. You know, on my other podcast or one of my other podcasts, the Slash Filmcast, when we do our top movies of the year, one of the categories that we do is uh, movies they didn't get and movies we didn't get. Um, the idea being, you know, there, there are movies that they didn't get, like I love and nobody else else seems to and movies that, that sounds like Wonder Woman 84 for us, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Right. And uh, movies that everybody else seems to love. And I don't, I, and I, I didn't get it for whatever reason. I, not that I didn't understand it, but I just, it just didn't vibe with me. And that's the, category that i'd put ghost of tsushima in i i want to love that game and i intend to go back on playstation 5 and play more of it i want to love it i i hear people talk about it like you christian and like almost everybody that's come on the show <laughs> except for khalif khalif is the only person that agreed with me and that, i'm a little closer to you jeff than christian oh yeah oh I'm, I'm surprised to hear that actually um i just uh you know i just don't think it is it just didn't get its claws into me and i I want to love it. I love Sucker Punch. I love the feudal Japan setting. I love Kurosawa movies. I just, it just felt, I don't know, off to me in some way. Uh, But anyway, I'm glad you love it enough to put it as your number two. And I think a lot of people clearly agree with you, Christian. My number two, this is maybe where you guys think that I'm being a little rash. Uh, My number two is Immortals Phoenix Rising. And I freely admit that it is because of proximity, I'm sure, that it is the game I've been playing most recently. Uh, But I can't think of a a game this year that gives me as much pure joy as this game. (laughs) Just, I just love doing it. I just, it is just a wonderfully... Um, broad, sustaining, joyful experience for me. And we talked about it at length. Uh, it was both of your number fives. I know that's super high for me to put it at number two, but I adore this game. And I will say this, I got a lot of tweets from people after last week's Love Fest on Immortals. Um, many of them from people who adore Breath of the Wild and think this game is derivative and therefore somehow less than and should not be applauded in any way because it basically stole everything from breath of the wild which i think is a a bit of a 
overstatement. I mean, yes, it it is very much inspired by the devs have been out in front. It is clear the game is heavily influenced by Breath of the Wild. But here's the biggest compliment I can give it is Immortals Phoenix Rising makes me finally understand why people love Breath of the Wild as much as they do. I, I totally get it now. It just sort of streamlines and removes some of the things that pushed me away from Breath of the Wild. Like it's got something I enjoy in 2020. Voice acting. I love voice acting. And I like <laughs> that it's... Have- voice acting i'll just be uh, i know but not really not really. you're also gonna say you're also I'm, I'm gonna get a lot of hate mail for this i understand it i get it people love the breath of the wild and more power to them i enjoyed my time with breath of the wild too i just didn't stick with it and it, it is totally on me right it is because i don't have the patience right sure well, well, I, it was my number one zelda was my number one when we did this the year yes. zelda came out and i remember like this game just as much. I think that there's not enough copying of the games where the formula is so good that you just get one of those and you got to wait six or seven years to get another one of those. And I think Immortals said, we're going to give you one of those. And I, I like that a lot. I know other people maybe don't, but I think that's yeah. great. I also think that, it, you know, it, it has for my money, a more interesting story than the Breath of the Wild. I know I'll get hate mail on that too, but it actually has a story, it's, you know, that, that it's trying to tell. Uh, it it allows me to sort of focus and get things done on Breath of the Wild. Part of the charm, part of the thing people like about Breath of the Wild is that it is sort of uh, uh, more um, purposeless, I guess, or or it requires you to actually explore and kind of, venture out and find what you find and come upon things as naturally and organically. And I think that's cool in principle, but ultimately for me, it meant I felt less focused and I I get it. It's totally on me. I don't have the patience to, for that game, I, I suppose. But the fact that I can set out to do things that I want to do in Phoenix rising and I know exactly where I'm going and what I need to do. And I'm, I'm enjoying this really vibrant, beautiful world. That's dense. And I don't know. I just, I even had more fun with anything all year. It is as fun as anything else I've played all year. And that's why I put it up at number two. It is a game that has convinced me that Breath of the Wild is the masterpiece that everyone has said because someone copied it and made a game that I love. <laughs> so I'm I'm putting it on my list. It's favorites, favorites. That's it right I there, man. Like to, I always also like to take some small credit for hyping up this game for you ahead of time. Oh, you- you put it on my radar. Yeah, you were like, I think you're going to love this game, Jeff. And I was like, really? That one? But yeah, I do. I do love it. I All I want to do is play more of it. I don't, I'm not rushing to finish it. I want to do everything. Like, that's how I felt about uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And it turns out this is a lot of the same team. So that I guess that makes sense. I like, I like this, these folks making stuff. <laughs> it's pretty great. All right. The time has come. Our favorite game of the year and i suspect all three of us are going to have a different game although maybe you guys will be no, the same. what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> you know it, just let me and christian go second you go first me go first yeah because christian and i have the same game i guarantee it yeah you guys well i definitely know that what christian's is and i think you guys know what mine is yes oh yeah everybody knows what yours is yeah it's it, it's not even close for me like it's this game and then miles of distance and then everything else and that's half-life alex 
obviously this game is not playable for everybody, right? You need very expensive hardware to play this game on a really nice PC. More and more people are going to play it now, though, that that Oculus Quest 2 is as inexpensive as it is and able to be so easily tethered and or uh, wirelessly uh, streamed. Regardless of that, there is no experience in 2020 that is even remotely close to what this game provides. Like, I can talk about all the games on all the lists that we have, all the games that came out in 2020, and all of that. There are some incredible games. We've talked about some phenomenal games, but none of them did brand new things, put me in experiences that I have never experienced before in ways that it invented, that it put me in a situation that is just unlike anything any video game has put me in before uh, because of how it was doing it. And things that were difficult with other VR games, they figured out. Uh, a level of of visual fidelity that no VR game has achieved before or after, frankly. Uh, it is, I think, the promise of VR fulfilled and i think it bodes well for where we're going to get in the next several years with vr um i know it's a touchy subject when you talk about vr games i was heartened to see GameSpot gave uh it gave uh, half-life alex their game of the year as well i think they get it they understand it's a very special experience hard to describe we did many episodes where i was fawning all over it it is uh, it is by far the best experience I had playing a video game in 2020, and I suspect it'll be for a long, long time. It's just that spectacular. Story-wise, um, action sequences, set-piece moments, things... I mean, there will be a level where I'm like, oh my god, I've never done anything like this before. This is incredible. The game can't possibly top it. And then the next level will be, oh, no, it just topped it. It's that kind of relentlessly brilliant uh half-life alex is my game of 2020 i just like that you were making vr games your game of the year before other outlets did like other outlets were like finally vr is coming and i just wanted to be like uh jeff needs to hold some somebody to hold his beer right now because he's been doing this for decades <laughs> yeah man i want everybody at GameSpot to play uh lone echo next you know like uh come, come join the party also, I think I predicted a couple of years ago that there would be a VR game that would be game of the year to a major outlet. I was just a little early. I was just a little early. Anyway, um, who who wants to take this one? Well, I'm, I'm here to put this on my list so that Christian doesn't uh, look like he's bought and paid for. <laughs> Even though he is. Even though he is bought and paid for, yeah. Um, but yeah, Chris, I mean, Christian game of the year. Go, go, is, I, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna predict it right now. Your game of the year, Anthony, uh-huh. is controls DLC. It is just the foundation DLC, not the AWE. I <laughs> <laughs> our game of the year is Last of Us Part Two. I mean, well, this is where I surprised you, Jeff. Much like you years past, I bought uh, a new Valve headset. And <laughs> oh no, I repl- I tried it again and it made a world of a difference. Oh, and it's Tetris, Tetris Effect Connect. No, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> I mean, it's definitely so bought and paid for. Like, I am a hundred percent okay with with people saying that. I think we've had discussions. I don't know if it's on this show or other shows we've done, Jeff. Where like, I, I do think that like uh, reviewer or personality bias is is real, and like getting free games and getting access to stuff does change opinions. Uh, has the potential to, or else marketers wouldn't spend so much money on it. And I w- will say again right now, fully openly and honestly that yeah i was hired and paid to do an official podcast for the last of us too they don't maybe they do know they did not need to pay me to do that podcast <laughs> I, I mean, if anyone's listening and like we're doing another one for the hbo show like oh my rates doubled um but also like i'm there um uh but yes take that with all the grains of salt can can i say that that didn't impact my view of the game that i you know played it uh, what can I months early <laughs> before sure. people played it? I, I can't. We, we, we had this discussion a full year ago, probably. I, and right. I said that there's no way on earth. This is not going to be your game of the year. Like, right. The, the only way, the only way, the only thing I could point to and say like, well, there's always, there's always a way is like cyberpunk. I think there were a lot of people who were like, that's going to be my game of the year. And then it came out and they were like, look, it's still pretty good. Um, <laughs> So I'm open to that, but the last of us part two, it, it, it absolutely blew me away for all the things that Jeff said about its technical prowess and what it does. And I think, you know, to the sound design of like the crunching in snow and the environment it puts you in and when the score comes and when it fades and the, the moments of real conversation that occur and what otherwise would maybe seem like idle time, like I don't want to say like important, you know, plot dependent storytelling, but like great character moments that I felt were a vital part of the gameplay experience for me happened between moments. And so many games, um, games I love, and I might have said this when we talked about uh, Last of Us Part Two. Like I'm running, you know, Arkham Knight or the Arkham. I'm running between moments, uh, trying to you know get to that next fight or whatever it is. And in The Last of Us, I was walking around, you know, taking it in as I, I think the characters would and spending time in the world and wanting to linger in this old record shop to hear what else my, the characters might say and as it related to them and what this experience meant to them. Uh, truly breathtaking. And, I, you know, I had to put the controller down and walk away. And there were moments where I was like, I don't like this person that I'm playing as. Like the, the way I think it and I'll be a little vague. We've done a spoiler cast, but like just because you're playing as somebody doesn't mean they're a hero. I think is really fun and interesting. And I applaud the team for making a not safe sequel. You know, this is a broad spoiler, but it's not Joel and Ellie going on adventures. <laughs> you know, like I think that would have been a very safe sequel where it's like, there's uh clickers in these woods. Joel and Ellie are going to go clear them out. Yeah. Um, it really upends a lot of a lot of uh, preconceived ideas about these characters and these people you've spent so much time with, and it does it in such a beautiful and haunting way. Where there are moments where I wish the game would have ended early, just to give me a, a bow, you know, like this nice moment, and it kept pushing, and it and it kept pushing me as well. And then on repeat playthroughs, seeing those little things, the way, um, uh moments interact across the game. I'll, I'll put it that way. 
really shows, I think, the care that went into the design um, and, and the time in that world. It, it's just a phenomenal game. And the fact that it's on a PS4, too, just absolutely, absolutely blows my mind. And I was paid 25 cents to say all that just now. So, you know, take, take what you will. <laughs> You're also a cheap date, it turns out. <laughs> well, I get paid in like pre, uh, you know, pandemic rates, like 20 years ago. That's how long we've been yeah, in this pandemic yeah. now, right? <laughs> well, Taramina, you concur with all of that, I assume? I concur with, with yeah, with all of it. I think that the, um, in my mind, the two accomplishments that the game uh, has above so many other games this year and you know of this past generation is one the dialogue and the interactions between characters feel so authentic that it almost really ruined i i finished this game and then i went to play ghost of tsushima and that's part of the reason why i sort of lean more towards you jeff and just the kind of stilted way that characters and video games talk between each other yeah. becomes more evident to me because the the let the conversations breathe in last of us so well every moment actors are in the same room actors yeah. are talking to each other they record but the dialogue they are in other games as well i would well, most games together game. though aren't in the same room i think captured like when you kill someone it's like they killed sarah oh no sarah like that wasn't all recorded in one set piece you know like that right. was a dynamic moment that happened for me and, and those dialogue trees come together but yeah, I think a lot of the yeah. recording does come into play, but also there are side narrative moments. I think Anthony's talking about that not everybody sees or experiences, sure. depending on what you find in the environment. Yeah, I, I just think that and the the capturing the little just details, the wrinkles of noses, the like darting eyes is is so so well done. I think it. Uh, I don't. I don't even know when we'll see another game like that. Maybe god of war but i i just don't i don't even think games try that these days right. just because yeah. it's very difficult and then the other thing that i think the game uh did that is just incredible i'll be vague but it does something and forces you to do something that you don't want to do yeah and, but by the end i understood what i was being asked to do and i actually was conflicted. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it presented with, it presented me with a conflict that initially I remember texting Christian and saying, when I got to this part, I was like, Oh, okay, whatever. You know, this is just going to be like, okay, this is some backstory. And then it was like, Oh no, this is like part two of this game. And I don't, I don't know if I like this. And then I started playing and then the more I played, I was like, well, actually, I don't know if I like the other part or the other person as much. And then it just, it just became this all around conflict of like, I don't know if I agree with these motivations, but yeah, it's challenging me. The game isn't just like making, giving me hero moments or just giving me these moments where everything is easy and everything is obvious. And when I was done with the game, I just sat there for a while and was like, wow. And I think it it, 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 does, it does what great art does. And that, I think, is something that most video games don't attempt. And that, honestly, is what I was trying to express in my very clumsy tweets about the game that, that went viral this year. Also, is 
th- that the game is attempting something that most video games don't attempt and only some movies attempt. Uh, there is one movie that I used as an example of the kinds of movies that attempt things that some folks took offense to. That tweet was my number six game of the year, but I knew you'd get it. <laughs> I, I think it does all that. Yeah, I think that it does something that uh, you couldn't you couldn't even do in a movie. You could maybe do in a TV show, but you wouldn't even be – it just wouldn't be successful. It'd feel like a gimmick. Yes, it takes advantage of the medium. I think you controlling it and having player agency is something that is – awesome to see like it, it it is different that we all did this thing you know than just watching it like you can advert your eyes in a movie but you you can't in a game because the game you don't get past that point and i think it it takes advantage of its medium really really well the other thing that you brought up christian about it that i think is very impressive is that they had all this goodwill capital built up naughty dog did in this franchise and they had a, a bunch of rabid fans eager to see the next step of this adventure. And they used that capital to buy themselves the ability to create something that is unexpected, challenging, difficult, uh, not what people wanted. And that is a very courageous act. That is not simple to do. Uh, none of them were unaware that that's what they were doing, right? Druckmann knew exactly what people would have wanted and he did not give that to them. And we saw this very mixed reaction from people, this this anger and, and real hate, honestly, that was directed at other people and, and folks that were involved in the game. And, you know, it is a sad commentary on our industry, on our hobby here and how people interact with it. Uh, how emotional and, and dumb they can be about it. But I think it shows, it, it, it's what great artists do, right? They didn't sit on their laurels and just regurgitate something that they knew would get them a lot of happy customers. They actually created another piece of art that was hard to handle and pushed these characters to different breaking points. And that is an extraordinary thing. And it's it's not something this industry is known for. Uh, it's not something that is easy to do in any industry, uh, but particularly this one. And on this scale, you know, on this kind of budget and scale, it's unheard of. Yeah. I, I will just say that even on a smaller, like granular level, I was not a big fan of the gameplay in The Last of Us. I actually really detested certain parts of that game. I just didn't like the shivs breaking mechanic. I didn't like how you, you know, you'd sneak up on a, a clicker or something and they just turn around right as you got close. It just frustrated me. And I felt like they wiped away all of that. Mm. Uh, it could just be, you know, that I like was older and not, it's not that long ago, but it just, I felt like every detail felt better. Just even something as simple as, okay, the clicker turns around and, and gets you and you start, a minute before you walked behind it, not the whole yeah. encounter again. Yeah, um, yeah. I just, yeah. Even from a gameplay perspective, I think that they improved it and just made a better playing game. I agree. Uh, the first last of us was never on my, you know, games of all time list. I thought the story was one of the best I'd ever seen in a video game, but the game itself never was super fun for me. And I loved playing the last of us too. So, so yeah, I, I agree with you there as well. 
And I think it's pretty clear that that game should be our show's game of the year. Uh, number three on my list, number one on yours, Christian, number one on yours, Anthony. I think it's, I, I you know, I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall going in uh, that this game would be the, I, I think if there's any justice in the world, it would be Half-Life Alex. but I get it, you know, not for well, everybody. I, I, I sat down here ready to record accepting, like I, w- I would, you know, make a fuss for a little bit, but I came in being like, you know what, Immortals Phoenix Rising, I'd be okay with that uh as the show's game of the year the only one reason i'm glad it's not is i I, yeah i think you said this yeah i think i speak for both of us we haven't finished it right yeah i never finished it yeah i mean there are certain i I, like i said i don't always finish all of the games on my top five list but i always try try to because that's usually why they're my favorites (laughs) you know like actively playing them so much but yeah when i sat down i was like you know what i think there's a chance this is going to be the one game across our list because I wasn't sure if if Last of Us Two would make would make your list again. It's favorites, and sometimes yeah, I wasn't sure either. Not a, a favorite art. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't sure either. It, it's a it's a difficult game. It's not a game that I look back on fondly. It's a game I look back on and admire, and I think that uh, I struggled. I wasn't sure where to put it on my list, if to put it on my list. But I think it's undeniable that it is a masterpiece and just an incredible piece of game design across the board. I mean, uh, yeah, it's when I look back on 2020, it's going to be a game that sticks out. uh, No doubt about it. Probably more than Immortals Phoenix Rising, quite honestly, which, you know, it's behind that on my list. But I just I love that experience so much that it it edged it out in my list. so it's exactly that feeling of like, oh, when I look at, when I think about Mortal's Phoenix Rising, I'm like, yeah. And when I think about Last of Us Part Two, it's like, ugh, you know? So uh, that plays that plays a part for me. And I, I think, you know, we all have our own criteria, right? Um, all right, we got lots more still to cover before we wrap this puppy up. Um, but I, I think those are very strong lists. I loved how uh, there's, there was a lot of overlap, but I think a lot of diverse games as well. Uh, some other categories I wanted to mention, and we always do every year. Um, I think there's probably a a real competition for most disappointing game of the year this year, sadly. Um, Anthony, what would you put in that category? Well, I'm going to assume that one of you is going to put one. I have two that are fighting, and I'm just assuming one of these is going to make it on either of your. I don't know. I'm gonna. I just want to say Avengers because yeah. I love loot games, uh, and I was hoping that this would be Avengers as a loot game. Uh, and boy, was I disappointed with everything outside of the campaign. Um, the end game is just it just it, it's it's a developer that just didn't know what to do, which is pretty common with these live service games. They Sometimes get you the division gets a lot of people with the, you know, the story, the campaign, and then you get to the part that's supposed to be the live service element and they just drop the ball. And I think Avengers, uh, even the developers admitted, like we just, we just didn't get it right. And they're, they're going to try to make it better, but yeah, Avengers also cyberpunk, please. Somebody mentioned cyberpunk. So we could talk about that. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, Avengers uh, is certainly on my short list for this. Uh, from a developer that I was very confident in, right? Crystal Dynamic is a very good developer that's done very, very good games. Never done a game like this, and maybe that shows, but uh, this IP, so it was definitely on my biggest disappointment shortlist, and I suspect on yours too, Christian. 
I mean, yeah, I, I have a couple of games on my on this unfortunate list. Um, and it, even the campaign, I think I enjoyed the story and, and I liked uh, Kamala and, and that story. And I, I liked her as a protagonist. But I think like the playing of the campaign wasn't great. It was like, OK, you did it. <laughs> but first, you know that this is part of no, no, this is part of the campaign. Go grind this one generic open area five times. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm playing the campaign, please. I know this is part of it. What am I gonna? What story beats am I gonna get from this? Oh, nothing. Have fun. I really don't want to do this, but you have to. Really? Oh yeah. Get what? Do I get any cool loot out of it? <laughs> no. It's just like, come on. It's it's a real bummer. Like I said, I went back for the Kate Bishop stuff, or I tried to go back. Ugh. It's a. Yeah. I'm really rooted for this game. I even got Pat. I mean, it's unfortunate because again, a developer I like characters. I love, and it feels like start to finish from reveal of like uncanny Valley or like we have uh, welcome to DLC, the podcast with Jerf Alada and Chris Spencer and special guests. It's a Tony. <laughs> like, it's like, that's not right. That's not the show. <sighs> it's unfortunate. Yeah. Any, any other game you want to put in your biggest disappointment category? I mean, I'm going to say one, but I don't want to dwell on it. And then I'll say one that we can dwell on. Half-Life Alex bummed me out. It, 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 oh, and that's me. No. I don't want to dwell on it. Cause I know it was, it was just, I mentioned Immortals Phoenix rising being right place, right time. Half-Life Alex, it just, it, my room, uh, gen one quest link cable problems. Like it just, it didn't gel. Didn't gel, and that disappoints me not because the game is bad, but because I hear how much you love it, and I wish I had that experience. You know, kind of like you mentioned on slash filmcast. I I want to love it, and I think it was just technical limitations prevented that from happening, and that sucks. <laughs> not just me, Christian. All of Gamespot. You know, I'm just saying. Uh, not that we need any anybody else to corroborate. I will but. fight with game all day, every day. Um, with those jerks. No, just kidding. Um, the one we can dwell on, Doom Eternal. Oh, really? wow. Really? Oh, I don't want to dwell on that. What are you talking about? I, I remember we can talk about it. I love Doom 2016. I loved Doom Eternal. I did not finish, have no desire to play any more of. I feel like it overcomplicated a, a formula that worked really well. It lost track of what made the story work in the first one. It just, it, I went into it thinking like this could be my number two game of the year. Um, and it just, yeah, it was a real, 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 real bummer for me. Yeah. Disagree, but yes. <laughs> I'm surprised, quite honestly. I had a good time at that game, but. Um, Did you get through yeah, it? I'm surprised. Huh? Did you finish it? Uh, I think I got right to the last level and then it, it got, there's like a weird. Or maybe second to last level or something. There's like a weird um, uh, difficulty spike that I was like, I've played enough of this. I don't need to. I feel like Marauder guy or whatever that thing is, whatever it's called. Is it the Marauder Anthony? I don't know. Yeah. Super shotgun and then the ballista switching back and forth. Super shotgun. Yeah. I was just like, this sucks. (laughs) I I think, I think that game is really, I, it came out to Doom 2016, but I think it is the, a better one because of the added like movement stuff. Yeah. I mean, the game's a blast and you just feel it's just like I never wild. have what I want, and I get that point to make me like juggle all of the things. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I didn't enjoy it. So that was for me. Big, big bummer. Um, 
I mean, I guess I'll see Cyberpunk. Um, I also kind of put Dreams on here. Uh, not because I think it's bad. I do think it's good. I just, I'm disappointed that Dreams isn't a bigger thing and it didn't do anything. And I guess that's kind of what happens with all of Media Molecules games is that they're like this infinite potential and then they come out and it's like, all right, I'm waiting around for people to realize the potential of this thing. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess there's a vibrant scene there that I'm just not connected to, but. I think part of it is, is more that uh, they didn't put enough, in my opinion, they didn't put enough into it on their own. They relied pretty heavily on uh, people's creations. I mean, they have a lot of their own levels in it. Yeah, but I don't know. I feel like everything that I thought was great about the game was playing other people's stuff. Yeah. Uh, And, and you know, that, that is the platform that they're creating, but I do think, um, like I, the Sackboy games, I always enjoyed playing through, uh, or the Little Big Planet games. I always liked playing through their curated stuff, and then the the side stuff was neat and cool. But I, the stuff that they created outside of the world, the fans created in Dreams, I think was far and away better than anything. So, um, I, did, I just realized something, Jeff. What? I like third person action games with female protagonists with red hair. You like games uh, with Ix in it. Alex, Phoenix. I'm trying to think mm-hmm. of another one. That, that was your through line for this year. As I was oh, looking, looking through your list. You need, you need that. Like, you need more Ix. Is Alex spelled Y-X also? Or is she it? Ori and the Will of the Wicks. Yes. <laughs> hey, can, we, can we talk about Cyberpunk? Because I need yeah. I need. I mean, it's the easy it's the easy answer to put on most disappointing, right? But I, I'm disappointed in the game not because of the bugs. Yes, like I'm that, with you. I'm 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 disappointed in the game. Like the game itself is disappointing to me, and all of the uh oh feelings I had when I first saw it, and I was like, I don't know about some of these decisions. Like they're all they're all still there for me. And I mean, I want to hear what you have to say, Anthony. But for, you know, I think ultimately. What I hear from people that love the game is, oh, you just got to play more of it. I'm like, I put in 10 hours. I think that's enough for me to know whether or not it's going to be good. for. No, you just got to play more of it, man. You got to play more of it. It's like, okay, but that's a lot of hours that I've put in to not love the game game. Like, it just feels none of the upgrades are very fun. I'm not incentivized to try things. When you mentioned that, there is legit an upgrade that's like enemies don't detect you underwater. And I have played like 70 hours of this game. And that is the most useless upgrade. It's very clear. It's just indicative of the larger problem with the game is that they had a vision for something else and they could not deliver on that top to bottom. I just, there's so many, I, I really enjoy the dialogue parts and the curated missions, but this was supposed to be an open world game and open world games. Usually the, main campaign missions are just a small part of a larger pie. And I think there are just so many things that open world AI is just a disaster. Um, yeah. I've streamed it a couple times and we always play this fun game of like, Oh, we see a weird looking NPC. And then we try and find how many times we can find that same NPC in like a, you know, a five minute span or something. And it's usually minimum 10. just like so many things about that i ask a lot of people you know like when you play the combat do you find it fun do you ever find it challenging is it either just 
so easy it's kind of pointless or so hard that you just get one shot instantly. And that seems to be the case with me. Either like I'm just messing around quick hacking people left and right and they're not even able to do anything or I poke out my head from cover and some guy just annihilates me. Um, yeah. It's just Yeah, there's just so many things about what they had planned for this game that I just think they don't deliver on. Uh, I mean, I, I look like a total doofus if I want max armor and I want to wear, you know, like there are people that just play the game and don't wear hats because they look so stupid. They're yeah. just, it's just an endless list of fundamental flaws that I don't think are, are patch fixes. They are, you know, fallout 76 level top down rewrites of the game. It is yeah. one thing to be like in Wolfenstein and like, I love those memes of like, this is what I look like, like 18 German Nazi helmets on, like giving me my health and like, haha, funny, 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 you know, silly little game. But yeah, in cyberpunk, it's like my best armored helmet is, I forget what it is, but I mean, it's stupid, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's a really stupid. And also why does it have such good armor? It's like a fuzzy club hat or something. Yeah, why, why is this, you know, like uh tube top that I'm wearing higher armor than this, like, you know, Militech yeah. jacket. And it just, yeah. I don't know. There's, there's so much. The loot isn't very satisfying. It's just so. I keep thinking about how good Deus Ex looks in comparison, uh, how fun the combat was in Deus Ex, how I was constantly in, impel or uh, I was constantly incentivized to think outside the box and try things that were interesting, try the different ways around an obstacle. I feel like you can just barrel your way through everything. Everything is blunt instrument is the easiest way to get through it in cyberpunk. 100%. And it's just, it's just call of duty spread across a big world. It's, it's not, it's not done as well. I, I keep, I keep thinking on, I, I like cyberpunk. Like I'm like, I really like it. And then every time I sit down on my computer, I don't play it, which I think yeah. says volumes. And I, I think part of it is what you mentioned, Jeff. It's like, it is when if you when I was mainlining it, it did feel very you know Call of Duty esque, but it doesn't play as good as Call of Duty. And I yeah. finished the Call of Duty campaign, and while I had problems with the you know narrative they told, <laughs> that it was bombastic and a blast and controlled really great. And Cyberpunk doesn't do that. And also, I think as Anthony mentioned, it doesn't satisfy that open world fantasy you know that that people wanted to have going in. Yeah, it it just has. Uh, it has so many things that I just don't think. I think the one thing that feels very CD Projekt Red is the storytelling, the the character interactions. The writing is really well done. And the NPCs that are like the main NPCs, those are the best characters and that's all the best stuff. But I don't know. It makes me go back and like question like did – because I know a lot of people when they talk about Witcher, there are a lot of asterisks associated, and it makes me yeah. question everything. You know, people say I love The Witcher, but actually, don't, the combat's not that great. Don't worry about that. It's like, well, yeah. that is the game, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's a pretty disappointing game. Uh, we're already over two hours, so let's uh, let's truck on through uh, some of these other categories. Uh, we wanted to add this year favorite update to an existing game. You have a favorite? I mean, I guess. Christian, we all know Christians. <laughs> no, I think when we thought about this, I didn't actually consider like DLC to be it for me. And I will jump in and go, I don't think I've gone first yet. I know we have a guest first, first because you're teasing me. 
it's it's the Avengers stuff in Fortnite. Like nothing has made me reinstall a game so many times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like and spend, and then spend a bunch of money for skins. Well, and then like spend some money and then delete it again and then be like, I guess I kind of do want to see how this or like watch content of it online. Like I watch Kratos dance videos. A lot of those are very funny. Um, but we mentioned Avengers being a bummer. Avengers and Fortnite was a huge success in my opinion. And it, it got me reinterested in a game I did not think I could be reinterested in. Anthony, biggest uh, update? Favorite uh, update? The, so it didn't make my list, but the Ghost of Tsushima Legends uh, yeah. multiplayer is very, very good. I thought this seems very tacked on. There's no way I'm going to enjoy this. And I really, really liked it. And a complete uh, ghost release, right? They didn't make a big deal about it. They weren't, were talking about it for months on end. It just sort of arrived. And there's a raid. The raid is really cool. Yeah, um, yeah it's it was a complete surprise as far as like there, you know, like I look at last of us and say, okay, that multiplayer, I'll probably enjoy it, but I don't know. Same thing here. That seems cool, but I don't really, I'm unsure. And I really, really enjoyed it. I'm going to mention two VR things for my favorite update to an existing game. One is adding VR to Operencia stolen sun. Uh, I want more games to do this. It made the game so cool. I loved seeing it in VR. Uh, kudos to those guys for doing that. And um, the update to Pistol Whip that added a campaign, a pen- Pistol Whip by 2089, I think they call it. Um, fantastic. Revitalized that game for me. I'm playing a lot more of it now. It's so fun. I mean, a Pistol Whip is great, but having an actual storyline and voice acting and a purpose and having these sort of themed levels around that makes the game even better. So both of those, awesome. Um, all right, well, let's get to our uh, our hidden gem top fives. This list, actually, I'm even more excited about than my own, but we'll have to do them uh, fairly quickly because we're kind of going long here. Uh, but I think, honestly, some of these games really made a play for my real list. I'm like, if we hadn't had this, this other list, I may have ha- tried to shoehorn these into my actual top five. And I'm, I'm glad we have this list, but it almost feels like it, gives these games a bit of short shrift because there some of these games are are some of my favorite experiences of the entire year. So Anthony, why don't you do your five hidden gems um in any order you like. You can go five to one if you ordered them or you can just list them all out in any order. But what are your um dark horses or games that deserve another mention at the end of the year here? So mine are the Pathless, great uh, mm-hmm. PlayStation 5 game if you're looking for another place. It's also on PC but uh, and mobile. Um, yeah. Great PlayStation 5 game, really fun, uh, unique combat, cool world. Uh, number two, these are not orders, it's just number two, uh, is a game called Ghost Runner. It's kind of yeah. like a uh, Hotline Miami, but you're uh, like a cybernetic ninja running on walls, you know, one shot it will kill you, but one slice of your sword will take out the enemies. So you kind of have to like create this, this line through all these enemies where you dodge and run on walls and dash and do kind of all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, really great game. Uh, number three is journey to the savage planet. Oh, uh, such a great game. Yeah. Great exploration, sci-fi game, good sense of humor, uh, really colorful, really creative. Uh, and then number four is going to be uh, Mortal Shell, a uh, Souls-esque game, a little harder, a little new mechanics, uh, plays around with some 
some ways of of approaching enemies like that you wouldn't usually see in a souls game and number five is call of the sea mm. uh, i haven't played like, that yet but i keep wanting to it's on game pass it is right? on game pass it's a uh i want to i don't want to say witness because you'll think like the puzzles are like the witness but that type of like here's a kind of area an arena and there's a puzzle to solve and it's more than just like basic puzzle solving there's some real yeah. think it's a it's a great game if you like puzzles um in video games kind of like missed a little bit um call of the sea is on game pass and it's great uh, we don't have time to go on a, on a side rant here or, or tangent but i was just thinking the other day about the witness and I really think that's one of the greatest games of all time. I think The Witness is an extraordinarily audacious thing. Like, we're going to take this really plain mechanic, this boring thing that everybody does, like, on the countertop uh, table mats at diners, (laughs) and we're going to make a whole video game around it, and it's going to be exquisite. Uh, Anyway, The the Witness is vastly underrated. Anyway, uh, Christian Spicer, what are your five... Uh, dark horses. So I tried to put these in order. So, but this order could change. You know, next week it might be different. But Tetris Effect Connected. Um, mm. Tetris Effect was such a triumph, and now Connected has VR support on PC. The multiplayer component of that game. Um, you know, the objectively best game of all time, Tetris. Uh, I'm sure it's not hard to imagine a game that old there being horrible versions of it, and to have there be, I think, a close to definitive version of that game come out this year and be free wink wink game pass it's everything that game does is it's is almost perfection it's incredible don't overlook it if you're like oh everybody worried about tetris effect you know whatever it was two years ago connected oh i haven't played it play it it's on game pass download it play it it's incredible it's absolutely incredible uh ghost runner as anthony already mentioned you want your cyberpunk aesthetic it does it really well it's a phenomenal game hard hard game (laughs) but phenomenal Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, um, just an absolute home run of a remake of two of the best, you know, sports video games of all time. And I think Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5 and Tony Hawk HD Remaster or whatever those other, that other one was that came out on the 360 uh, generation proved that making these games isn't necessarily super easy, it looks like, because 5 was awful and so was that earlier remaster. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 nails it absolutely nails it just a phenomenal um repackage of those games streets of rage 4 talked about a little bit at the beginning brought the brawler back in a a great way and did it with uh an existing franchise and i think kind of expanded that franchise really well like story quote unquote in in brawlers has never been the strong suit but i like the way that this is you know a sequel in canon and and keeps and keep telling that story and it, it plays really well um across devices it's great on switch or wherever you want to wherever you want to play it also on game pass and then the first one you know we shouted its praises but i think it needs more praises to be shouted and it's a pack-in astro's playroom is yeah just a phenomenal game yes it's a pack-in yes it's a a dual sense tech demo but my gpu song gpu song yes if it's not one of the best 3d platformers you know I, i think you're lying to yourself it's really really well done yeah yeah, Astrobot is my fifth li- uh, number game on my uh, my dark horse, my j- diamonds in the rough. Uh, and I know a lot of people are talking about it, but I feel like it, it just needed to be mentioned again. 
I said this about the first Astrobot game, the VR Astrobot game. If Nintendo made this and it had Mario in it, people would be going bonkers for this. Like a Switch or something, it'd be game of the year. Yes, I mean it is. It is. Um, it is every bit as good as something Nintendo would make. And uh, I, I was skeptical, frankly, that it would be good enough without VR. Like I thought the the fact that it was in VR the first time around uh, really elevated it, and it did. But I, I, you know, they managed to find wonderful new ideas i mean the game is just jam-packed with ideas and i think that's what makes it so special astrobot not my number five uh number four for me spirit fairer we talked about that last week a bit uh a beautiful elegant non-violent game with wonderful art um i wish i could play more of that game i want to play more of that game it is uh it's serene and beautiful and lovely um i highly recommend spirit fair again a game pass game so uh, if you have game pass Several of these games are on my list. Another game I talked about last week, it, it, this just wedged it, its way onto my list because I'm loving it so much. Airborne Kingdom just came out right at the end of the year. Worth your attention. If you like at all games like Civilization or God Games or Sims, uh, this one is exquisite. You're creating a city in the sky that's floating around, moving over the land you get resources by flying little biplanes down and collecting it, building it back up onto your wonderfully detailed, sprawling sky city. Ah, what a cool game. Airborne Kingdom. Number two, Fort Triumph. Ah, what an awesome gem on Steam. I think this has also got a console version, but I'm not 100% on that. Fort Triumph is a, um, a fantasy-themed, like, XCOM-type game with a fun... Uh, layer of of fantasy storytelling but great tactical combat really fun use of the environment that you can you can topple trees on people and push things around and uh really really fun powers that you can you know with the various characters that you assemble on your team oh such a great game fort triumph and then my number one on this list of overlooked gems this game almost made my main list. It is that good. Star Renegades, also on Game Pass. Criminally overlooked by people. This is turn-based combat done as a roguelite. Awesome, cool sci-fi s- setting. But the combat just shines. It is so well done. Awesome pixel art. Just do me a favor Download Star Renegades if you have Game Pass. It costs you nothing to try it. I think you'll dig it. it the tutorial may be a little baffling at first, but once you grok that combat, whoo, doggy, it's fun. Star Renegades is my number one overlooked gem. All right. What, a, what an episode. That was amazing. A- Anthony Taormina, thank you as always for being here, my friend. It is my pleasure. It was uh, a delightful experience. Uh, thank you again to Sean for, and his wife for the song. That was uh pretty amazing yeah yeah we got their their full yearly song coming up you're not going to want to miss it it's delightful uh it is it is charming and it'll it'll be an earworm stuck in your head for weeks i guarantee it it is that catchy um so stick around for that it'll be coming up at the end of the episode but anthony Taramina, tell folks where they can keep up with you and the things that you do online 
Uh, so I am editor-in-chief for GameRant.com. If you want to read uh, various bits of coverage that I kind of have a hand in, I don't do as writing do as much writing. I did review uh, Last of Us Part 2 and Ghost of Tsushima this year and a few other games. So if you wanted to kind of uh, read some longer thoughts about some of those games. Uh, and then if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at uh, AntTormina, A N T. I don't know how to spell my last name. A-N-T-A-O-R-M-I-N-A. <laughs> well done. All right. Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? You know, honestly, probably playing more Immortals. <laughs> yeah, man. Me too. <laughs> As I sit here. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Taking in, taking in, the kids are off for this week, so I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I'm on Twitter, at Spicer, S-P-I-C-E-R, is the best way to see if something something pops up. And I'm on Twitter as well, at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Again, you can always email us here at the show. We'd love to hear your favorite games. We'd love to hear any comments, questions you might have about the show. Uh, you can email us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. There's also a fantastic community online in Discord at 5x5DLC and on Reddit at 5x5DLC.reddit.com. Take part. Become a, a part of the community. They're fantastic folks. And, you know, honestly, we're so grateful for all of you who uh, contribute to that community. Thank you for, for making our show uh, better by being a part of it, being part of the community. Um, I have several other shows for you to check out. I mentioned the Slash Filmcast er- earlier, talking about movies and TV shows. You can find that at SlashFilmcast.com. Uh, I do a comedy science show where you can learn something and laugh along the way. It's called We Have Concerns. You can find it at WeHaveConcerns.com. I also do a a long-form Dungeons & Dragons show called The Dungeon Run. Uh, you can find that on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run or as an audio podcast by searching for The Dungeon Run there. Uh, you can also watch live Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run, although we're not back until uh, next week. The uh, 6th, I want to say. Anyway, um... We did it, Christian. We did it. We made it through another year, and, and this was not the easiest of years. We we survived. Last year, I think I said something to like bring on twenty twenty, and this year, you know what? I'm don't do well, it. No, but don't do it. This has been a very tough and trying year. Um, yes. Thank you to our audience who's been here with us through it. Um, and I know that it's been tough for everybody, and you, your loss and the heartbreak and the hurt. And all of that is something that we all share in and everybody is, is different. But um, I think I can speak for all of us when I say we love you and thank you for being here. And there's been some great games this year, but that does not change what the year has been for so many. That's right. Yeah, I'm so glad we have this hobby to share in and, and take our mind off of some of that stuff sometimes. Uh, and I'm grateful for everybody listening you know we're going to be starting next week year eight of dlc which is boggles my mind but uh so it is and we will have our yearly tradition our anniversary what i like to call our annual in the old uh, marvel comics tradition our annual and that episode will be our predictions we will we will <laughs> come to terms with the predictions we will we made last year what, what uh, flavor are those predictions, Jeff? There's some, there's some, uh, there's some bold ones, and then then there's some, there's some Cool Ranch ones. Okay. Anthony, thanks for asking. I need it's you to a, say it. 
They're cool ranch predictions, baby. And, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody could have predicted 2020, but we tried and we'll see how close we got. And then we will make bold and cool ranch predictions for 2021. So I hope you're here with us for that episode. Anthony, thank you again for being our stalwart, our yearly uh, end of the year partner. Thank you for having me. And thanks to everybody uh, for listening and uh, saying kind things, you know, just interacting with me. It's, it's a pleasure. All right. We will leave you with Sean Madigan and his family doing, Hey, how you doing? And then we'll catch you next week. Until then think about what you put out into the world, make it a better place. Get it.